case you missed the previous episode, be sure to go back and listen to it so you get the idea of what we're talking about when I say food limit reactivity. This is the Breaking Up with Binge Eating Podcast, where every listen moves you one step closer to complete food freedom. Hosted by me, Georgie Fear, and my co-coach, Mary Claire Brescia. In a nutshell, food limit reactivity is when a person experiences intense negative reactions to even the slightest limit on what or how much they can eat. It causes a lot of distress, it can lead to binge eating, and it gets squarely in the way of losing weight or adjusting your diet for medical reasons. Food limit reactivity is a modifiable entity. It can go up and it can go down over time. It also could be higher one day and lower on a different day for the same person, depending on the context and the person's emotional state. To help us understand food limit reactivity better and how we can help decrease it, let's look at two related psychological ideas. First, a very similar sounding term is food cue reactivity. We're talking about cues as in cue and response here. It sounds similar, but instead of talking about responses to food limits, this is talking about people's responses to food cues. Food cue reactivity is a term used in research to describe physical as well as psychological responses that happen when a person is exposed to a stimulus associated with eating. So the sight or smell of food can be the stimulus, but it could be walking through your kitchen or hearing your spouse rip into a bag of chips in the other room. The responses can include psychological changes like activation of appetite, feeling an increase in motivation to eat, as well as physical events like salivation and the secretion of gut hormones. People display differing levels of food cue reactivity. Some people salivate more and have a strong increase in the desire to eat when they're cued by the sight and smell of food. This is a high level of food cue reactivity. Other people show less of this effect. Some research has linked higher food cue reactivity with a higher BMI. Brain imaging studies have indicated that greater activation in the brain areas linked to reward and motivation can actually predict weight gain in the future. Now, this all seems pretty plausible to me. If some people's minds are wired to give them greater motivation to eat and seek reward every time they see or hear or smell tasty food, of course that creates a greater likelihood of weight gain. It has been shown that higher food cue reactivity leads to more eating in the absence of hunger and eating above a person's energy needs. Well, one thing we know drives up food cue reactivity is being physically hungry. If your stomach is growling, the rustle of somebody opening that bag of chips is much, much more attention-grabbing and tempting than it would be if you had just finished a meal. Second, being on a diet, just the mental state, makes us react more strongly to food cues. When we have limited access to food, it takes on a much higher reward value to our brains. Third, individuals vary. Some people are not very sensitive to food cues most of the time, 
until they get hungry. And then their sensitivity to bakery smells or the sound of someone popping popcorn spikes. Other individuals have more stable reactivity to food cues, regardless of whether they're hungry or satisfied. I bring this up because I think it can help us be more compassionate with ourselves. If it seems like other people aren't experiencing the same thing as you because your senses seem to be hijacked when you pass a donut shop, it's completely possible that you're not experiencing what other people are. It doesn't mean you or they are broken. You simply have different levels of food cue reactivity at this moment. The second concept that I want to touch on is control aversion, because like food cue reactivity, control aversion has a lot of similarities to food limit reactivity. And this can help us better understand why we want to eat like crazy at the very thought of holding back. Psychologists refer to acting out against perceived control from others as control aversion. It's not necessarily a bad thing. You could think of it as protecting your autonomy to make your own choices, or a don't-tell-me-what-to-do attitude. But it can cause trouble if it leaves you unable to take directions from your employer, follow the advice of experts, or even comply with the law. A recent paper explored how control aversion impacted people's cooperation with coronavirus-related health protective measures. When it comes to hand-washing or wearing a mask, Control aversion shows up when people think, yeah, that's a good idea when it's recommended, but feel markedly less agreement with it once the behavior is mandated. Typically, people feel more control averse to things that are highly personal. For example, if the town wants to conserve water and prohibits everyone around me from watering their lawns, including me, I'm probably not going to be as annoyed as I would be if they told me, we're going to place a monitor in your home to see how many minutes you spend in the shower. It's not hard to see some parallels here between wanting to rebel against being controlled by your boss or the government and wanting to eat a whole pizza on the way home from your first Weight Watchers meeting, the phenomenon of food limit reactivity. Someone described her issues with control aversion and food limit reactivity like this. I get really uncomfortable or irrationally angry when someone tells me I can't do something, or if I get cut off in traffic, if my work supervisor wants me to do something I don't want to do, if someone I care about tells me there's something wrong with me or my behavior, if I'm hyper-focused on a project and I have to stop for any reason, for example, someone asks me a question or my baby needs me, I will either get really defensive look for excuses, or my anger will swell up so big I can't perceive anything else. So that leads to the all-important question of how do we use this knowledge that research has gathered about control aversion and food cue reactivity to help ourselves or our clients reduce their own food limit reactivity? First, we notice it. It actually doesn't matter one bit what you call it, so you can completely forget the term food limit reactivity and just try and remember the concept. This is what makes me backswing when I think about dieting and want to eat all the things. Once you know that it's a thing, that's a first step. For most people who work with us in the Breaking Up with Binge Eating program, Food rules are setting off binge cycles for them, so we encourage people to drop the food rules and stop dieting until we can resolve that reactivity. Second, 
be compassionate with yourself about where this came from. Your reactivity to food limits, just like other disordered eating behaviors, is only trying to keep you safe. This is your mind trying to help you avoid suffering. If you feel like something triggers you emotionally or sets off urges to engage in disordered behaviors, try not to blame yourself. It's not craziness. You didn't choose this, and it's definitely not your fault. Third, over time, we want to work to reframe how you think about food choices. Recognize that you're in the driver's seat, and you are allowed to eat any food at any time. It's not illegal. One of the most important things to grasp is that just because you can eat something doesn't mean you want to. The process of breaking up with binge eating or emotional eating takes months of learning how to make these decisions. Embrace the idea of deciding, do I want to eat this instead of, can I eat this? Fourth, when it comes to making those food choices about when, how much, and what to consume, develop the habit of foresight. Consider the after effects of your food and drink selections. Some of them will be positive and others negative. Some food or drink choices might result in you feeling energetic, proud, and satisfied, while other choices might give you a stomachache, leave you hungover, or worsen your health conditions over time. It's okay to choose sometimes to eat things that upset your stomach. Many lactose intolerant people feel like ice cream is a worthy exception, and I do not disagree. But the important thing is to feel like you're making your own reasoned choice, not one that you're being forced into against your will. Fifth, we include response inhibition in our coaching program, except we don't call it response inhibition, which is a very technical sounding term. Basically, it's wise to expect that you will at some point feel triggered. You will experience the urge to go to the store and buy binge foods because someone ate all of your cereal at home, or because your mother asked you if you were going to lose some weight by the wedding. When your food limit reactivity is triggered, because it will happen, but you do not act on it, or you can't act on it, it passes. And not only does it pass, but it weakens the whole reactivity pattern if you're triggered but unable to execute the response. It's very important to gain the confidence that you can be triggered into wanting to binge eat, but you can actually not act on it if you decide. Sixth, when it comes to practicing self-restraint around food choices, please, 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 please begin gently and progress gently. Extreme food limits tend to cause intense negative reactions, so taking up a fasting protocol where you aren't permitted to eat at all for a long stretch of time is, to put it bluntly, a terrible thing to put yourself through. The same goes for cutting out any foods or major food groups. We usually begin with some gentle self-restraint practice in the very first week of the program, when we set up our regular eating pattern. The idea is to outline times for yourself to eat a meal or a snack and have these be no more than four hours apart. So in between these times, it is appropriate to practice waiting to eat until the next time, but it's never more than a few hours away. We want to keep the challenge small enough to feel very doable. Many clients say that this part feels really good 
because they have a clear plan of when to practice eating and when to practice not eating, and the challenge is not excessive. When it comes to progressing, it's key to keep going slowly. For example, instead of saying, drop all the processed foods from your diet, which is a drastic change for virtually everyone, we encourage people to trade one processed food for a less refined one. And throughout the whole process, you know, the six plus months that we work with people, the theme is, here's a strategy you can try if you want. It's completely up to you. Everything is voluntary. Which brings me to the last very important piece of how we can work to reduce food limit reactivity. It's trust. When I read the research papers I could find on control aversion, the word trust came up over and over. Nations where people have greater trust in their governments had less rebellion and greater adoption of disease control measures that were mandated. In the workplace, employees who trust their supervisors show less control aversion than those who aren't quite sure about their superiors' motives. And in human behavior studies, people are more control-averse when it's a total stranger trying to control their behavior. All this boils down to the fact that we need to feel safe and trusting of the source before we are able to set and abide by any food guidelines. I do not take it lightly that my clients and listeners have placed their trust in me, and I know that part of why our program has such high success rates is because of that precious trust. It takes time, but when people internalize the awareness that I really will do everything I can to alleviate and not increase their suffering, I think they feel more okay with trying out new ways of thinking and eating that Mary Claire, Christina, and I encourage our clients to try. Develop that same trust in yourself. Promise yourself that if you want to try a healthier eating step, or eating closer to weight loss, or making food choices to lower your cholesterol, or any other nutrition-related goal, promise yourself you will not put yourself through starvation and misery. Promise yourself you will stay gentle and kind. Promise yourself that you will protect yourself from suffering. And then keep those promises, every one of them. I'll see you next time as we continue breaking up with binge eating.